Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. That's awesome. Let's give it up for Nick. He is a rock star. Thanks, Nick. Well, my name is Erica Cambitz, and I am thrilled to be here teaching you all today. Um, I am what Joel would consider one of the OGs of Three Creeks. I was there back in the day when we met in the basement of the river. Um, just a little bit about myself. I, my background is chemical engineering, but I have spent the last 10 years in ministry. So fun story, I'll tell you some other time. Um, I was a part of college ministry, spent some time in Brazil, worked here for the church for a while. Um, and this spring, I graduated with my master's in theology from Fuller Seminary, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So I'm married to the the wonderful Alex Cambitz, for those of you who know him too. Um, And even though I'm still figuring out what I'm doing, I love teaching. So it's my pleasure and honor to be here with you today. Um, One of the things I love about this sermon series is that it reminds us that God chooses to use normal, everyday people in the gospel mission. And the real reason why these people are heroes is that they point us back to the true hero of the Bible, which is God. We may read these stories and be inspired, encouraged, or challenged, but ultimately, these people remind us that the person we truly should be admiring is Jesus. The person that we should be modeling our lives after and emulating is Jesus himself. These heroes demonstrate that the good news of Jesus is for all people and involves all people. If you would turn in your Bibles or turn on your phones um, with me to 2 Corinthians, we're going to read a passage before we get into the message today. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have some available for you in the back. That is our free gift to you. Um, So we'll be in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. It's in the New Testament, about three quarters of the way back. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks be to God. The beauty of the gospel is that God desires reconciliation for every single person. And God desires that we each play a part in that ministry of reconciliation. This lies at the heart of the Bible and is the pinnacle of today's message. The good news of Jesus is for all people, and it involves all people. 
This morning, we will be digging into one of the richest, most theologically dense letters in the New Testament, Romans. But don't worry, we're only doing two verses. This letter to the Romans is especially unique because for the past 25 years, Paul had been doing all of his missionary work on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. And now he prepares to bring the gospel farther north to Rome and then on to Spain. And so while many scholars consider Romans to be Paul's magnum opus, N.T. Wright acknowledges that the heart of this letter is actually quite simple. It's all about a God who unveils his power and grace through the good news about Jesus. And as Paul insists again and again, this power and grace is available for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes the good news of Jesus is for all people and involves every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every human being who believes in the name of Jesus is invited to participate in God's mission here on earth. One of those people that we're learning about today is a remarkable woman named Phoebe. I'm really excited to teach about Phoebe because very few people know about her, but once you do, I think this will radically change the way you read your Bibles, and I'm so excited. Um, you know all those lists in the Bible um, that most people tend to kind of skip over when they're reading? Well, Phoebe is in one of those lists for Phoebe. Um, she only gets what we might consider an honorable mention at the end of Romans, but she is arguably the reason any of us know this letter at all. In fact, Phoebe was likely the very first person to ever preach on Romans. In order to understand who Phoebe was and what she did, we're going to be discussing a lot of culture and history from the early church today alongside the text that we'll be studying. So we're going to be in Romans 16, 1 through 2, the very end of the letter. And Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centraea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So before we can un unpack what this text is saying, we really need to understand how the text functions. And what I mean by this is that you wouldn't expect poetry from a textbook or life advice from a car manual, at least I hope not. What I'm, um, similarly, the Bible is composed of different types of literature. So we need to understand what we're reading first. Romans is a letter, as you may well know, that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Um, but there's some very key distinct distinctives about letters in the ancient or Eastern world compared to modern letters. So let's look at a couple of those, and that will help us understand why Paul includes this line at all. The first thing that's important to know is that letter writing was a communal endeavor. How often do we, as modern Westerners, imagine Paul burning the midnight oil, finishing up his final letters to the church? But history and the scriptures tell us that this was not the case. In fact, Paul would probably have written his letter in a bustling house with lots of people coming and going and bounced ideas off of fellow ministers of the gospel. Um, the second thing that's important to know is that letter writing required tremendous planning and time. Unlike today, most people in the ancient Near Eastern world could not read or write. 
So they had to employ a scribe who was specifically trained to write on papyrus. You can go ahead and put that picture up. This is actually a, a picture of a papyrus of this text that we're reading today. Um, so these authors would oftentimes dictate to the scribe, and they would provide instructions on how their letter was to be read, different places that maybe needed to be emphasized or explained or maybe to pause in certain places. Um, and in Romans, we know that this is Tertius. He actually sends his own greeting at the end of the letter to the church in Rome as well. Another thing that's important to know about ancient mail was that delivery was solely dependent upon the trustworthiness of the carrier. So unlike today, however you may feel about the US postal system, they didn't have any luxury like that then. For the common man, personal letters were sent with travelers whom you hoped were trustworthy enough to get it there and traveled safely enough to get it there. So an equivalent of something like that in the modern world would be, I have family in South Carolina and I would like a letter to go to, to them. So I would find someone here in Columbus, hopefully someone that I knew and trusted, who maybe was heading south or going through the city that they live in, who could then pass off the letter to them. And so for Christians, they relied upon those in the church who would be traveling geographically. Oftentimes, this was missionaries. And the last thing that is important for us to know today about letter writing was that it was letters were received orally and corporately. So in the Greco-Roman world, they would be read aloud or recited from memory to a group of people. So for the Christians, this would have been an entire church, like how we are today. Um, and then these letters were copied and circulated among the churches. So who cares? <laughs> Why does all this matter? Well, for some of us, it might be fun to nerd out on some ancient mail systems. I'm not actually here to give an ancient history lesson today. Remember that when we understand how a text functions, we can better understand what it says and what it means. So the historical cultural context helps provide a framework and a gravitas to the text that's often lost on us today. So using what we know now about the ancient mail system, we can use this to learn about Phoebe and her significance in the letter to the Romans. Paul commends Phoebe at the end of this letter because she is the one he has entrusted to deliver it. This means that Paul trusted Phoebe not only to safely carry the letter all the way to Rome, but also trusted that she was a faithful representative of Paul's intended message. Phoebe would have read the letter aloud, and then she would have provided answers and expounded upon anything that they would have questioned from the letter. This is huge. Paul understood that he could not do any of this on his own. Paul understood that the gospel mission is a group effort. Just as Jesus invited the disciples into the gospel mission and trained them to multiply that effort, Paul models his ministry in the same way. Paul invites men and women into the gospel mission because it's what Jesus did. Paul invited Phoebe to participate in sending the gospel to the Romans because the gospel mission is a group effort. And not just Phoebe, but Gaius, who hosted Paul while he stayed in Corinth, and Tertius, who scribed the letter, and perhaps several other Corinthian believers who cooked meals or caught fish or relayed messages, helped set up travel plans. The list could go on. 
The gospel mission is not a solitary activity implemented by church staff or missionaries only, but it is a group effort composed of entrepreneurs and stay-at-home moms, students, janitors, scholars, children, retirees, disabled people, those in poverty, and those in power. The gospel mission is a group effort requiring all people who follow Jesus to play a part. How might God be asking you to join in this effort? God wants you to be involved in the gospel mission, whoever you are. I would love to take a couple minutes to paint a picture of what this could have looked like in Paul's day. So we're going to, if you want to close your eyes, whatever you need to do to get into an imaginative state, um, I just want to allow the Holy Spirit to inspire our imagination of this text 2,000 years ago. The ship arrives at the port city of Centrea, just as the fishermen are pulling in their morning catch. Sunlight mingles with the salty Mediterranean breeze, reviving the weary travelers as they stretch their aching muscles and gather their belongings to disembark. Paul makes his way to the side of the ship. He quietly recites the Shema and thanks the Lord for another safe voyage. This port city is bustling with all kinds of trade and business. And as the ship docks, Paul scans the crowds, hoping to see a familiar face. He spots Gaius chatting with a tall, sophisticated woman and grins as he waves. Paul quickly weaves through the crowds to greet his Corinthian friend. Paul, my brother, it is so good to see you again. I would like to introduce you to Phoebe. She helps lead the church here in the port city. You can thank her for funding your journey this time. Paul turns to Phoebe, looking at her with immense gratitude and admiration. And he says, my sister, it is such an honor to meet you. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Phoebe smiles deeply. It is my absolute pleasure, Paul. Gaius tells me that you intend to extend your missionary efforts further north, and I wish to assist you however I can. Paul, Gaius, and Phoebe weave their way through the busy crowds to a quiet, affluent area of the city. They approach a large, well-kept estate, and before they enter the courtyard, two servants greet Phoebe, speaking in hushed tones. Phoebe turns to Gaius and Paul. They have prepared breakfast for us and cleaned a room for you to share before you journey on to Corinth tomorrow. Come, let us hear about your missionary plans for Rome. A week passes. Paul and Gaius are gathered around the table in Gaius's house when there is a knock on the door. Phoebe enters with a young, studious-looking man whose fingers are blackened and has papyrus spilling out of his satchel. Gentlemen, I have someone I would like to introduce you to. Paul, Gaius, this is Tertius. He is a scribe who attends our church in Centrea and whom I have procured for your letter. Tertius is new to the way, but is an excellent scribe and has helped me with several letters of my own. His Greek is flawless. They pull up two more chairs, and Paul begins to share his thoughts for his letter to the church in Rome. As the days go on, Gaius comes and goes as he attends to his own business, but Phoebe and Tertius remain by Paul's side. Those in the Corinthian church stop by when time allows to greet Paul and to sit under his teaching. Some days, 
There's not enough room in Gaius's house for everyone, but they're used to that. They stand outside the door and the windows listening as Paul discusses the Hebrew scriptures and Phoebe clarifies their meaning to a Greek audience. Once Paul is satisfied with his thoughts, Tertius begins to record as Paul dictates his letter to the church in Rome. After each portion of papyrus is dry, Phoebe reads it back to Paul, and they discuss potential questions which may arise from the Romans. Several weeks later, Tertius gathers the papyrus together, looks at Paul and says, all we need to do is put the finishing touches and then it's ready. Have we decided who you want to deliver your letter? Paul looks over to Phoebe and Gaius. Gaius glances at his wife and children who are playing quietly in the next room and then says, Paul, you know I would do anything for the gospel mission, and yet I cannot leave them. I cannot leave the church here or my work. And besides, Phoebe knows this letter inside and out. She should be the one to take it. Paul turns to Phoebe and smiles. What do you think? Are you ready for this? Feel free to open your eyes if you close them. All too often, we lose sight of the context of the Bible, and we struggle to wrap our minds around the weightiness of what is happening in just a few short verses. We often forget about people who aren't mentioned at all, or people who are barely mentioned, like Phoebe. But they were people, just like you and me, who played a significant role in the group effort of sharing the gospel. And I hope that this helps you to reconsider your own significance in the gospel mission. God wants you to be involved with whatever you bring to the table. You matter. The gospel matters. The gospel mission is a group effort. To be the carrier of a letter like this was no small task, especially to Rome. Phoebe would have traveled between 700 and 800 miles from Corinth, Greece, to Rome, Italy, which you can see Rome's way up there on the map. Um, so this would have taken her five to 10 days in good weather, or it could have taken three to four weeks if she traveled a combination of land and sea. If you're struggling to consider this distance, perhaps you've taken a road trip from Columbus to Tampa, or maybe Columbus to New Orleans, or Columbus to Quebec City. Now, I don't know about you, but a road trip to Florida now is not great. Imagine doing this without all of the modern technology we have today. This would have been a massive undertaking, a tremendous journey for Phoebe. So remember what we learned about the mail process. The carrier of the letter not only delivered it, but they read and explained it too. And because of the importance of this letter, Paul likely entrusted his letter to someone who understood what he wanted to achieve through it. He would not have entrusted the letter to Phoebe unless she could understand his content and could represent it. The closest thing we have today to understanding this idea is an ambassador. An ambassador represents someone else. They speak, act, think, make decisions, all representing this other person as though they were there themselves. So Paul had to entrust someone who could function as his ambassador, who could understand the content of the message so well that they could answer questions as if Paul was there in person. So when Paul sends the letter with Phoebe to the Romans, it is Phoebe and not Paul who read the letter to the Roman believers. 
after reading this for the first time, do you think they all just sat there and said, wow, thanks, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I don't know if you've read Romans, but I've got lots of questions myself. So upon hearing one of the most theologically dense letters for the first time, they would have had a million questions, and it was Phoebe who would have answered them. Wait a minute, can you read, read that part about circumcision? Are we supposed to do that too? Or, uh, Excuse me, can you explain how righteousness comes through faith? Yeah, what does he mean when he says to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ? Okay, so we need to pay attention to the law, or we don't pay attention to the law. I'm, I'm kind of confused here. What does he mean when he says that we're supposed to be a living sacrifice? Phoebe would have prepared with Paul to answer all of the questions that they would have had, and then some. Phoebe was the one who explained the revelation of Jesus Christ. Phoebe was the one to explain that everyone has sinned against God and deserves death, yet there is hope and life in the person of Jesus. Phoebe was the one to explain the ramifications of the Judaic law to Gentiles, to discuss the Mosaic covenant alongside the new covenant in Christ, and to discuss the continuity of God's salvation plan through it all. Phoebe was the one to explain how the Hebrew God longs to reconcile all people to himself, yes, including Romans. After Paul, Phoebe was the person most acquainted with the letter to the Romans. She represented Paul, his ideas, his theology, and the gospel mission to Rome. Phoebe was Paul's ambassador to the Roman believers. And just as Paul advised Timothy, he embraced his own advice to entrust the gospel message to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Ultimately, Paul entrusted Phoebe to be his ambassador because he knew that she was a faithful ambassador of Christ. And this is arguably the most important part of the gospel mission. The gospel mission is about being an ambassador for Christ. Just as Phoebe represented Paul to the Romans in her thoughts, actions, and attitude, she also was representing Christ to them. And we too are all asked to represent Christ in our own thoughts, actions, and attitude. And in order to represent Jesus, to really be his ambassador, we have to know him intimately. We must spend time with Jesus. We must understand how he interacted with people, so that we can reflect that same compassion and grace that he so abundantly gave. We must understand who he is so that we can accurately portray him to people who don't know him. And we must understand that reconciliation was at the heart of his mission. The same mission he invites us to be a part of so that as we function as ambassadors of Christ, we get to play in this part of reconciling all people to God. As you consider your own relationship with Jesus, what do you need to know about him? Before you can accurately represent him to other people, you need to spend some considerable time with him. What might that look like? What part of Jesus' heart do you need to know better? What aspects of Jesus' teaching do you need to become better acquainted with? What He is right here waiting for you to carve out that time to get to know him better. What might that look like in your own life? 
So why Phoebe? What was so special about her that Paul chose her above anybody else? Let's return to the text to learn more about her. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Paul first acknowledges Phoebe is a fellow believer through the familial language sister. And Phoebe is a Greek name, so it is most likely that she was a Gentile believer rather than a Jewish believer like Paul. And since there's no husband mentioned, and Paul does not specify that she is a widow, as he often does, it's most likely that Phoebe was a single lady. Shout out to all the single ladies. Paul also calls Phoebe prostatus. Uh, the Greek word used here means patron or benefactor, meaning that Phoebe helped fund Paul's missionary journey. This means that Phoebe was probably a woman of high social standing and some wealth who put her status, resources, and time at the service of traveling Christians like Paul who needed help and support. As a part of Paul's commendation of Phoebe, he acknowledges her generosity toward him, and he asks that they return the favor and host Phoebe when she arrives. The third thing that Paul mentions is that Phoebe is a deacon at the church of Centrea. We have a picture, actually, of some ruins at the port city. It's actually pretty, very pretty. Um, so Centrea was just eight miles south of Corinth, where we have the letters to the Corinthian church. Um, and anyone coming through the Mediterranean Sea to Corinth would have come through this port city of Centrea based on where it's located geographically. So she's a deacon at the church of Centrea. This is a little spicy. So the, the Greek word used here is diakonos. And while the concept of female deacons or ministers is controversial, I think it's important to honor the original text. So this Greek word is a masculine noun, which means servant, or deacon, or minister. And while it would be tempting to translate this as simply servant to avoid controversy, Paul only uses this term for Jesus, himself, and his co-workers. So, whether or not you agree with the idea that Phoebe was a full-fledged minister of the, of the gospel or a deacon at the church, this is Paul's primary reason for his commendation of Phoebe. She was a trustworthy minister of the gospel. She is the one whom Paul chose to deliver and expound the most theologically dense letter of the New Testament. Paul chose a single Gentile Greek woman to deliver the gospel message to the Romans. And isn't that the beauty and the heart of the gospel message? It is for all people and it involves all people. The gospel mission includes every person who follows Jesus. Phoebe demonstrates that no one is disqualified from participating in the gospel mission. If you are sitting here today wondering if God wants to use you, the answer is a resounding yes. Ministry is not reserved for the select few who choose to make this their full-time job. God longs to reconcile all people to him, which means that all people get to participate in the gospel mission and the ministry of reconciliation. 
Phoebe reveals that someone's marital status, their financial situation, their gender or ethnicity does not alienate them from the gospel mission. The gospel mission includes all people who follow Jesus. Phoebe is actually one of the many remarkable, unexpected people whom God uses in monumental ways down through the Bible. Phoebe joins Deborah, a prophetess and the only female judge in the history of Israel. She joins Rahab, a prostitute who rescued Israelite soldiers and put her faith in Yahweh. She joins Ruth, the Moabite, the ethnic outsider who demonstrated how non-Israelites can trust in Yahweh and be incorporated into God's people despite their nationality. She joins Esther, an exiled Jew who became queen of Persia and bravely stood up for the protection of her people. Phoebe joins Mary Magdalene, a disciple of Jesus and the first person to proclaim the resurrection of Christ to the disciples. And she joins the Ethiopian eunuch, someone at the time who would have been alienated by both ethnicity and questionable gender. The Ethiopian eunuch functions as the ideal convert in the book of Acts. And then Phoebe joins Junia, the first female apostle and co-worker with Paul. You see, God has a track record of inviting the most unlikely people into his gospel mission. He does not disqualify those who believe in him. The ministry of reconciliation is all about restoring humankind's relationship to God. And as that happens, our own relationships with each other transforms as well. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, when we see another person as someone who is worthy of God's love, our understanding of them completely changes. And as I see myself as someone who is worthy of God's love, that transforms me from the inside out. Because I have been reconciled to God, I no longer need to worry if someone looks down on me because I'm a woman or questions if I should be teaching because I'm a woman. Because God has reconciled me to himself, I am invited to join the gospel mission as I am. If God can choose to redeem all kinds of people and invite them to participate in his gospel mission, who are we to say otherwise? The good news of Jesus is for all people and involves all people. As we wrap up our time together today, I would like to invite you into a time of reflection and prayer. Phoebe reminds us that the gospel mission is a group effort of representing Christ, and it involves every single person who believes in Jesus. God is inviting you to be a part of his ministry. You have a unique role to play in the gospel mission, and I'm so excited to see how he's going to use you. God uses normal, everyday people, just like all of these unlikely heroes you haven't heard of in the Bible. Some of you may wish to pray silently in your seats, which is great. And some of you may wish to pray with someone. And so we will have a prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you. That's one of their ways of playing their part in the gospel mission. 
Um, so here are some questions for you to prayerfully consider. We're going to put them up on the screen. And I just want you to really sit into this and allow the Spirit to work through these questions in your heart. What is my own unique role in the group effort of the gospel mission? What about my gifts, resources, time, personality? Is God asking me to contribute? How can I carve out time in my schedule to spend more time with Jesus? What do I need to know about him so that I can best represent him to others? And what about my own life or story feels like it disqualifies me from participating in the gospel mission? How might God long to reconcile that in my life? Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.